Open your Bibles to Ruth, uh, the little book of Ruth. It's tucked away in the Old Testament between Judges and 1 Samuel. It's page uh, 222 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seat rack. And I would love for all of you to have a copy of the Bible open before you this morning. Last week, we began a brief series in the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. You could read it in its entirety in probably 15 to 17 minutes. And it is a beautiful story. It's densely packed with all kinds of surprises and words of encouragement. It's mostly densely packed with the hand of God and how much we rejoice in this story. And if you're not familiar with it, oh, what a treat. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful story it is for us, and we began our journey through the book of Ruth last week. I wonder if you've ever been in need of a favor, and of course the answer is a, we all have some small favors. Sometimes we need a huge favor, and sometimes we even say, I got to call in a favor, which typically means you did something for somebody else, and they said to you in so many words, hey, if I can ever return the favor, uh, let me know. And occasionally we call in those favors and somebody's like, seriously, you called me today? Uh, and we tease one another or sometimes we're just you know, unashamedly like, no, I need the favor now. But when you're in need of a favor, that means you're at a point where you don't have the wherewithal to do something that really needs to be done for you. And in one sense, you're at the mercy of your circumstances you're, or you're at the mercy of your employer or you're at the mercy of your neighborhood or the... Uh, the community that you're a part of, but you realize, like, I, I don't have what is necessary. Well, that's the position that Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, have found themselves in as they've returned to Bethlehem. And remember, 10 years earlier, uh, there was a famine that fell upon this particular city uh, in the nation of Israel, and Naomi and her husband at that point, Elimelech, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, decided to leave the country, to leave Bethlehem, which ironically is, the name means house of bread. And they made their new life in Moab for a period of time. But then God came to Bethlehem and provided bread. He broke the famine and word spread all the way to Moab. And so Naomi heard and she said, I'm going home. And one of her daughters-in-law, who's a Moabite, and we hear that repeated multiple times in this story, decides to go with her. And, and I won't re-preach last week's message, but for those of you who weren't here, uh, at least read the chapter. And if not, go back and, and watch the recording or listen to it. Um, it is available for you. But I, I want you to follow along now as I read chapter two. And again, this will take three or four minutes, uh, but it's important for us to hear the word of the Lord. Ruth 2, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? 
The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, we come to chapter 2, and there's a profound sense that God is at work in mighty ways. And as you can see from the title slide there, God's kindness stands at the center of this particular moment and how Ruth, who is in need of a favor, is going to experience it. But even beyond that, how Naomi, the woman, remember, who came back to Bethlehem and said to her friends when they said, is this Naomi? She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because God Almighty has made my life bitter. It's not that she's bitter against God. She just recognizes that God's been at work in ways that have been very difficult for her. And, and she sees her life, really in many ways, as a life of having been forsaken 
But God's about to demonstrate something else for her, isn't he? And so if you look at verse 1, the the storyteller is the one who introduces a little interesting piece of information. We need to know this, but it reminds us again that from the storyteller's perspective, it's God at work. And so I think it's important that we recognize God was the one who had prepared Boaz. And the storyteller tells us just a few things about him. Naomi had a relative of her husband's and then describes him as a worthy man, if you look at the text. And there are actually two different Hebrew words here that are brought together that that clearly communicate the idea that Boaz is, first of all, a man of wealth. And that makes us happy, right, for poor widows. Uh, And he is also a man of great ability and honor. So it's not just that, you know, he might be able to give a job or, or provide a meal for some desperately poor widows, because both Naomi and Ruth are, but he is actually a man of great honor. And then the storyteller notes he's of the clan of Elimelech. So we know he's, he's a family member. Uh, the clan is simply a smaller subset of the tribe of Judah, and the clan is probably uh, Ephrathite. We looked at that last week very briefly. And then, and then we get the name, Boaz a name that means his name is strength. And, and what a contrast that is to the men we were looking at last week. Remember the two sons, Malon and Kilion, how, how pitiful really the, the meanings of their names were as we looked at them, you know, sickly and wasting away. Those are not honorable names really. Those don't inspire great confidence. But here's a man whose name means in him is strength. So God's preparing a man and the storyteller is, is setting us up for this. Now, Look at the next verse, because God is clearly leading Ruth. And he does so through an ordinary decision to get up and go to work. It would be easy for these women in that impoverished, desperate condition to just say, you know what, we just need to call a big prayer meeting. And I'm sure they did pray. But isn't it interesting that Ruth rises, as it were, on an ordinary day, and says to her mother-in-law, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him. And that's actually a little too specific because you could think that maybe she's already got an idea that there's a guy named Boaz out there and if I can get in his field. No, she actually uses a term that could also be described as anyone. It's, it's clear that she, she's at the mercy of this new town and the people who live there. So she's going to glean among the ears of grain after anyone in whose sight I shall find favor. And as the storyteller here in this verse and six other times in the book reminds us, she's a Moabite. So just think for a moment what she's up against. She is a foreigner. She comes from a pagan culture that even in this time of the judges, because that's when this story is set, Moab has been one of the hostile neighbors toward Israel. Uh, And furthermore, of she is a widow. I mean, she's got disadvantages everywhere she looks at. So realistically, what expectation does she have that somebody will show her favor? I don't think there's a realistic expectation that she's going to find it, but it is the hope of her heart. And gleaning, let's make sure we understand this. She's not looking for part-time work or even full-time work in the field as a harvester. Gleaning would be equivalent. Do you know, do do your neighborhoods have the bulk waste pickup like ours do twice a year? And you put stuff out on the curb and the city comes. We live in Sandy and, you know, Sandy sends its workers around and, and they just scoop up whatever you put on the curb and they haul it away. Well, prior to that, People start driving the neighborhood because sometimes there's really good stuff out there. And I may or may not have done that myself. (laughs) 
But there are always people who hook up trailers to their pickup trucks and drive the neighborhoods, and they're looking for metal in particular that could be salvaged and you know, sold for, you know, I don't know what the, the going price is per pound, but you, you see them. They're, they're just heaping up the stuff that has some value, not enough for the homeowner who stuck it out on the curb, but somebody who's willing to drive the streets. Well, that's essentially what Ruth is doing. So the, what she's gleaning is the leftovers from the harvest. We don't have time to go back in the, uh, into the Pentateuch and look at the first five books of Moses, but God had actually made provision, told his people, don't harvest to the very edges and corners of the field. Leave some stuff for the poor. So Ruth knows she can go get some stuff in the field, but she's aware that she's in need of someone to see her in her need and extend favor to her. You know, when you pair Ruth's personal liabilities and the deficits that are hers at that particular moment, it, it really is a bad situation. And your typical Israelite might see her as nothing more than a pagan Moabite widow who, who really is kind of an inconvenience. But she's so much more than that, isn't she? And it raises the question, who are you? Some of you feel like you're nothing more than the sum total of your liabilities and deficits. Or that you're just kind of the random, uh, as I put on the board there, the, like the, the accumulation of random social identifiers. And, and you say, well, I'm not from Moab like Ruth, but I'm from, and then you fill in the blank of whatever country or nationality you're from. Maybe you are a strange amalgamation of personal deficits and cultural liabilities and from a human perspective, easily overlooked. But is that really who you are? All of those things are true about Ruth, and all of those things that you might list out at this moment might be true of you, but is that really how God sees you? Because what's beautiful and powerful in this story is that God sees Ruth through a different set of eyes, and we see it and experience it specifically through Boaz, but we've also been getting some of that through Naomi. And that's where I want you to pause for a moment and think about the fact that while you and I tend to identify ourselves through our liabilities and through our deficits, God doesn't. You, he sees you, first of all, as one that he created in his image. And some of you say, but, but I feel like I have no value and I'm living in a moment of great discouragement or great sorrow or great uh, loss or whatever it might be that is nothing but a liability or deficit to you right now. But God not only sees you as valuable, created in his image, he sees you in this moment of great need. And furthermore, he knows that you long to be seen. So Ruth left that morning with the great longing in her heart. Will, will somebody see me? Please, somebody see me. So her mother-in-law conveys a little bit of that love for her. I, I don't want to miss this, but at the end of verse 2, Naomi says to her, go, my daughter. One thing is for sure, Ruth is loved by Naomi. No one else in Bethlehem may, but Naomi does. And those of you who have a mother-in-law like this, aren't you thankful? I know I am. Let's press on, though. So through a simple decision to work in a particular field, look at verse 3. She set out, went, and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come. 
Now, we all know, like, this is not chance, right? She's not just getting lucky on this particular day. She happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is of the clan of Elimelech. So now we're, we're reminded of his name again and of the connection. So while the storyteller has introduced us to Boaz back in verse 1, at this particular moment, Ruth doesn't know that. She just knows here's a field, and it's being reaped, and I'm going to just, like, slip in behind the reapers, see what I can gather. But God knows so it's not random chance. This little term happened. There's another one coming up that will remind us it's just loaded. The, the biblical term is, or the theological term is providence. God didn't just wind up the universe and step back and say, let's see how this unwinds over thousands of years. No, God is actively involved day in and day out, and he's actively involved in your life even when you can't see it. So imagine the storyteller speaking this line with a little glint in his or her eye, a knowing nod of the head. It happened. And we all go, oh. Keep reading. Verse four. Because now it becomes crystal clear that God is showing kindness. First of all, he put Ruth in the right place. And then, verse 4 tells us, he brings Boaz at the right time. And, And the English word is a little too sanitary. And behold, which is a word that means look at this. But we would say in the vernacular, and get this. Some of you parents have kids who tell stories like this. They come home from school and it's just like, and mom, you would not believe well, that's, that's what's being conveyed here. You would not believe who showed up in the field on that very day. Boaz came from Bethlehem right then at that moment. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And this, this is not just a typical Hebrew greeting uh, of like, you know, peace be to you all peace be to you. No, there's a little more being communicated here that this is a man of faith, that they have an awareness that, that, that the God who created them has broken the famine and brought this harvest to pass. It's also sweet to me that there seems to be great honor and respect given to him. Like, these people enjoy working for this man. You just have a sense, like, he's a really good man. So the Lord has visited Bethlehem, given food, given a harvest. Boaz greets his workers as an expression of his faith, and even it's clear they're all depending upon God uh, to bless them through this harvest. But, but now God leads Boaz to ask the right question. Verse five, he says to his young man, foreman who's in charge, whose young woman is this? Tells you a little bit, like he knows his workers and this is not one of them. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman. And now he's like, ah, I've heard about her. And he doesn't say that right now, but we know based on what he's going to tell Ruth in a, in a moment that he's aware of this story and now the right response. God is behind this, clearly. Well, what is Boaz's response? Look at verse eight. Because here, it's not just a right response, but he is showing us what God's kindness looks like in action. Notice, first of all, kind words that reflect God's loyal, faithful love. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now, listen, my daughter. He's not only acknowledging that there's a bit of an age gap between these two, which is gonna sweeten the story later on, but he's saying, daughter of mine. Remember, just a few minutes ago, we were asking, is anybody gonna see this woman for more than her pagan Moabite widowhood? Well, here's a powerful answer. 
Here's a man who looks beyond the ethnic barrier, who looks beyond maybe even some of the national hostility that existed between Israel and Moab at that point, who looks beyond her misfortune, losing her husband, and speaks to her with, and this is not a romantic term, it's going to turn that direction by the end of the story, but he actually speaks to her with a term of endearment that indicates he's ready to care for her and nurture her as, as he would his own daughter. Daughter of mine. Kind words that reflect God's loyal love. Number two, strong protection. He says to her very clearly, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women let your eyes be on the field that you're reaping and go after them because I, and he's saying, because I have charged the young men not to touch you. He knows that she's in danger, that she could be exploited, abused, mistreated, and it's not gonna happen in his field. Thirdly, look at generous provision that also reflects God's loyal love. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now that's, that's a little different from the typical cultural Practices. The women would draw the water. I mean, you can even go back and, and look at, when, at the story of Abraham's servant who goes to find a, a wife for um, uh, Abraham. Well, not for Abraham, but for Isaac, Abraham's son. And uh, he's not drawing water out of the well for himself. It's a woman. But Boaz says, you, you drink what the boys are pulling up. What's implied is he would say, you let her drink what you've drawn up. This is a different kind of guy because he's a reflection of a different kind of God. Now Ruth responds with humble gratitude. Verse 10, she falls on her face, bowing to the ground and says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She, she, she was hopeful for it, but this is the difference between hoping and having an expectation, like she's obligated or he's obligated to do a favor for her. No, there's no obligation in place whatsoever. And it is an interesting perspective in light of how so many people in our day and age feel entitled to all kinds of things. But here's a reminder to us that none of us is entitled to favors. That sense of entitlement is actually a mark of immaturity and pride, and we could go down a long road to discover more that lay beneath it. But that's not where she is, no. It's just, it's humble gratitude. So the question is, why did Boaz show favor to her? Well, he's gonna give an answer, but I think it's important that we go back and, and consider some of his personal history. Many of you know this, but some of you won't. And it's one of those, oh, for real? It's another one of those touches in the story where you just say, wow. Do you know who Boaz's mother is? Let me show you a genealogy. And it branches in some different ways, doesn't it? You see that person? Does the name Rahab ring a bell? Was she descended from pure Hebrew blood? From the noble ones in Israel? Who's Rahab? Oh, she's that gal with a sketchy past who owns a house on the wall of Jericho and Oh, that's right, the spies were hiding, and she said, hide up on the rooftop. And then they said, you throw the, you know, scarlet cord out, so when we crush this city, we won't crush you. That Rahab? Yeah, that Rahab. What a heart our God has. Though the 
unique covenant promises were given to the Hebrew people, who are really rowdy, crusty bunch themselves. Like they, were, they were not the paragons of spirituality and devotion to the Most High God. But God loves them because he loves them. And then you see him kind of like, it's almost like God himself is gleaning in the field of humanity going, you know what, people might consider you, Rahab, to be one of the scraps of humanity, tossed to the margins, and God says, I'll take you as my own. Now, there is a little bit of a question. Is Boaz actually the son, or could it be a grandson? And I don't want to get bogged down in that. What's crystal clear, and you can go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, see the genealogy that he lays out, and Rahab and Ruth are two of the four women who are mentioned there who in one sense should have no business being in the line of Jesus. But God loves to do favors for people that humanity otherwise would discard. How many times had Boaz heard from Rahab the story of her rescue and deliverance. So why would he show favor to a foreigner? Maybe because he remembers his mom was a foreigner once upon a time who had no right to be where she was doing what she was doing. Now, that's not the answer he gives, so let's go on, though, and, and let him actually answer for himself. Verse 11, he says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. You see, that's a story of grace. There's so many threads of grace woven into the story. It's ultimately a story of God's grace to Ruth, to Naomi, to Boaz. But here, here Ruth is actually modeling something for us to learn from. The story has been told. Boaz has heard. He says, it's been fully told to me how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. That's just a wow moment. Really? What kind of woman does this? And then Boaz goes on to bless Ruth. Look at verse 12 and notice this. He says, first of all, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord. And it's beautiful that the word repay in the Hebrew is very, it comes from the same root. It's not identical to the word shalom or peace, but it comes from the same root. And it does have the idea of may God, may God make you whole in life as he blesses you. And, and his blessing can come in all kinds of forms. So it is related to shalom or peace. And reward, well, that's a recompense for worthy acts. Boaz is amazed that, at what Ruth has done, and he is aware that God delights to see people live in this particular way and do these kinds of things. And then he says, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She leaves what is known, what is familiar, what would have offered her probably a, a huge piece of security, even though many question marks and unknowns remain for her. She leaves all of that behind, attaches herself to Naomi, takes an enormous step of faith. Who does Ruth begin to remind you of? Well, some of the other patriarchs, because God shows up at unexpected times and places, and just like he had said to Abraham hundreds of years before this, hey, it's time to leave Ur, and I, I want to take you to a land that I will show you in time, and Abraham packs it up and goes. Well, we're starting to have a sense, and, and put yourself in the place of the, the, the Israelites who would have been reading the story initially, and they're like, man, she is a lot like us, because it's real easy to get hung up on that, you know, that, that it just can be a form of racism. Well, she's a Moabite. She shouldn't be here. Hey, remember Abraham, from whom all the Hebrews are descended, wasn't always a Hebrew, if I can put it that way. But Ruth bears the marks 
of the true people of God who say, where he leads, I will follow. You know, I was thinking of how kind Jesus is to reinforce this same truth. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Boaz just prays a prayer of blessing, but he doesn't put any kind of numbers on this. May the Lord bless you a hundredfold beyond what you have just sacrificed. But Jesus himself begins to speak in terms like that. Some of you this morning wrestle with what it would mean to follow Jesus, and it it will mean sacrifice. It may mean you turn your back on a heritage. It may mean you turn your back on family and friends who don't understand. And not that you would be mean and ugly to them, but they, they won't understand why suddenly Jesus is so important to you. What do you mean you've repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life? That's crazy, honey. They won't get it, but when you come to see your great Redeemer, Jesus Christ, as he is, you will, you, you will happily, not easily necessarily, but you will happily turn your back on everything that would keep you from him and say to Jesus, as it were, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and thankfully he's not going to die again. But to use Ruth's words with Naomi, where you die, I will, I will die. You just want to be with him. And he delights to repay those who follow him. Oh, look at God, how he provides so generously for these destitute widows. In verse 13, first of all, it's a generous grace. She said, I have found favor in your eyes. You could even tr- translate favor for the, uh, with the word grace. I found grace in your eyes. I didn't deserve this. Nothing I've done to, to earn this. I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. And that's clear that His words and his actions have actually begun to alleviate the sorrow of her heart. And she and her mother-in-law have had so much to sorrow, haven't they? And you've spoken kindly. Um, Again, a literal translation and somewhat stilted, but but the words uh, have the idea of like, he's actually just spoken right to her heart, to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. See, he... He, through his kindness, through grace, has brought her into a place of blessing. Even a new identity is beginning to form here that she's like, I have no right to be this. Well, there's not only generous grace, there's generous hospitality. Look at verse 14. We read this earlier. Boaz himself says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. This is not just a little snack. It's a meal. And she has a place at the table with his reapers who, who love working for this guy. So I, I mean, again, the storyteller doesn't give us these details, but the, the way this story has unfolded, I suspect, I mean, there were tired workers there, but there was probably great conversation. And he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and had leftovers. Generous hospitality. Well, there's also generous provision. It's not just that moment of generous hospitality, but there's, there's provision for the days to come. And verse 15 notes that. He, first of all, instructs the young men, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. That is, don't humiliate her. 
And, and isn't that sweet? Don't remind her. She's a pagan Moabite widow. Has no right to be in this field. All those things were true, but he's very concerned that she be treated with respect. Verse 16, and also pull out some from the bundles for her. That is, make it easy. I'm sure that was hard for some of the OCD reapers. You mean I got to drop some stuff? Oh, oh, Master Boaz, that, that goes against everything within me. He's like, just drop it. Leave it for Ruth. Do not rebuke her. That is, don't censure her. Like, even if she gets a little too excited or too aggressive and, and you know, take something that you were about to pick up, like, leave it. You just, you just see this heart of generosity and grace overflowing toward her. And so verse 17 reports what happened. She gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had, and it was about an ephah of barley. And we all read that and go, an ephah, wow. No, we all go, an ephah. And even in the marginal notes, I mean, this was, this was not any more helpful. My, my study Bible says 22 liters, and I kind of know what that is. I'm like, put it in pounds and ounces. Like, put it in quantities that, you know, a, a, a Utah dude would understand. Well, here it is. It's probably 20 to 30 pounds of barley. Well, that's going to feed a couple of widows a long time. Her mother-in-law sees what she gleaned. And then, this is sweet, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. It's just an added touch of Ruth's thoughtfulness for her mother-in-law. Well, finally, there's a generous prospect that opens up in verses 19 to the end. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Isn't God good? Oh, but Naomi's about to be blown away. And Naomi uses the same language that Ruth had used in verse 10 when she first left. I'm going out, maybe someone will notice me. Clearly somebody has, so God's at work. Both widows are powerfully aware of and surprised by the fact that someone has taken notice. But then we read on, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. What? Now, this is where, you know, you kind of want to talk to the storyteller and say, I know you were setting us up at the very beginning, but... Like, we, we should be more surprised at this point than we are. But so you got to, like, hear this and see it through Naomi's eyes and ears. She says to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Pause there for a second. Because she's, first of all, giving God credit for his unfailing, faithful, loyal love. It's one of the main themes in this text. God has shown his kindness. God has not forsaken us. God has not even forsaken my dead husband, Elimelech. How do we know that? Because Naomi goes on to explain to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So this is the Lord powerfully at work, putting Ruth in the right place at the right time, bringing Boaz to the field at the right moment. It's just God lining up all of these things. And now she, Naomi sees the, the prospect of something really remarkable taking place. And all she says at this point is, he's one of our redeemers. And we don't have time to develop this next week. We'll, I, I think we'll get to it next week. But a redeemer, if you want to do a little preliminary homework and study on this, go back to Leviticus 25, uh, among other passages, and, and read how God made provision for relatives uh, like Naomi uh, to experience provision uh, in the middle of great difficulty. Naomi isn't simply acknowledging the kindness of Boaz on this day, but the faithful love 
of God. And here's the big point. God does not forsake his people, even though sometimes we feel like it. And even though sometimes circumstances may leave us in a place where we're like, God, where are you? Remember, it's taken us 10 years to get to this point. We've read the first two chapters in about eight minutes. That hardly begins to convey what Naomi and Ruth have endured to this point. What the sorrow of losing husbands, of losing means, of losing meals even in day to day under the duress of the famine. It hardly begins to capture the great weight that has rested, if not crushed, their souls to pieces at certain points. It is reasonable that Naomi would say, God has forsaken me. But now, as she continues to live out the days that have been ordered and created by God for her, she is brought now into a place, a new chapter, where she is fully aware and she speaks the truth. God has not forsaken us. And you fill in the blank. Beyond that, he will not forsake us. I know some of you today are looking at the circumstances of your life and in in one respect saying, is there any kindness in this world for me? I need a favor. Some of you would say, I got a list of favors. And you're not exaggerating it. And we're not talking about favors like, yeah, it'd be be nice to have a brand new pickup truck. I mean, we're, we're talking about real needs that you face right now and there's no wherewithal. But those physical needs that you are, experience, are experiencing are designed by God to get you looking deeper, to considering the kindness that you need in your soul, the favor that you may need someone else to do for your heart. And one of the things that is crystal clear in this beautiful story is that God is prepared to meet you right where you are. He's not waiting for you to eliminate the liabilities and deficits and come to him with assets and credits. No, he's prepared to meet you right now in your deep spiritual need, in the poverty of your soul. Yeah, even poverty created by your own sin. He wants to bring you to a place just like Ruth found herself where you actually are saying, why have I receive this kindness. He's not only prepared to meet you in your great need, he is ready to lead you. And even as we have seen clearly in this story, when you and I come to him, he will never forsake us and he won't forsake you. But these things are only true for those who take refuge under his wings. There's not one other set of wings in the universe that are strong enough broad enough, secure enough for you to find refuge. Some of you have tried to spread your own wings to be your own refuge. It's not working out so well, is it? Some of you acknowledge, well, I I can't provide refuge for myself, but, you know, maybe maybe there's another person. When you were younger, it was your parents, but then you came to a place where you realized, ooh, my parents aren't perfect. As a matter of fact, they're deeply flawed and sinful. So I love them, but that's not a permanent refuge. And then some of you ran to a spouse. If I can just find the right man or find the right, right gal. And then you realize marriage is no refuge. If I can get busy in my career, find a really great company to work for or start a company, be my own boss, 
That's no refuge. Some of you have even tried religion. And there are many to choose from. But God's not calling you into the refuge of religion. Obedience, consecration, zeal, sacrifice, all those things can be important parts. They're even important parts of the Christian faith. But the refuge is God himself. And that's what separates Christianity from every other religion that's practiced, every other faith, because at the center of it is a person who enters into personal relationship with you. And at the center of, of that relational call is a redeemer who died on a cross and rose from a grave. That's why we were singing a little while ago, there is a redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, the precious Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Holy One, the hope for sinners slain. Like Ruth, you must turn your back chiefly to your sins, but there are other things that would accompany that. Turn your back on all that has held you in its grip and turn to the one true Redeemer. He's ready for you. He's waiting for you. So may it be said of you and me, as Boaz said of Ruth, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge.